This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All righty then, here on a Tuesday, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show. Thanks for joining us. As uh, we slowly turn the page from the Week 2 victory over to Week 3 preparations for the Washington Commanders, who put up a lot of points this past week against Denver in a comeback win, uh, 35-33. The Broncos almost forced overtime, but a two-point conversion failed, letting the Commanders escape Denver with a 35-33 victory. And uh, I was looking at a little bit, Steve, of, of that Sam Howell kid, the quarterback. Yeah. And, and we'll talk to Dan Orlovsky about him in a little bit here, but he's got really good ball location. On deep balls, he puts it where only his guy can get it. Like there's just very good awareness as to where the safeties are, who's closing, where your window is. I mean, he he puts it on the money. I mean, I haven't seen him in person, so it's hard to right. kind of gauge arm strength, escapability, all of that stuff. But in terms of where the balls are, he's fitting in, whoo! Well, they're two and zero. Yeah, they it, are two and zero. It count. They were, um, and I you know, say what you want about the quality of their opponents or what have you. You can go down the list and of everything. Everybody uses to discount every team now. They played Arizona and Denver. Okay. Valid. Um, but still, you, none of these teams play in a vacuum, and Washington has got to feel kind of good about themselves right now. How was a big roll of the dice, in my opinion, uh, coming into the season. But I think Ron Rivera's – now, these guys, their coaching staff has been around long enough. I mean, you got to forget, you know, Jack Del Rio is their defensive coordinator. I mean, they got some guys over there. Um, and they're looking at Howell in the offseason. And, and last year, when he's, they're like, going, you know what? Let's give this guy a shot. Because, he, like you say, he does bring something to the table. Yeah. He's, yeah, I'm very, very curious to see how the Bills defense decides to handle him, what they have, you know, game plan-wise to try to cross him up a little bit, make some ill-advised decisions, things of that nature. Because – in the end of it, he is a first-year starter. You know, he's been in the league a couple of years, but a first-year starter. So we'll see what they have in store for him this coming weekend. Two Monday night games last night. New Orleans beats Carolina. And the Steelers beat Cleveland in an AFC North matchup. So both of those teams now 1-1 one and one on the AFC side of the ledger. An unfortunate injury for Nick Chubb likely out for the season after a gruesome knee injury. Yeah. Oh, it is yeah, official. He is now out. Yeah. I mean, we all thought that, but I was just waiting for team yeah. confirmation, but apparently it's official now. Yeah. Out for the season and not surprising after watching the way his knee bent awkwardly at the tail end of that running play. It was, uh, it was down close, and Minka Fitzpatrick came in, and it happened really fast. Um, and a lot of – you know, on social media, people are talking a lot about how they thought Minka Patrick went in. Minka Fitzpatrick went in too low, and it, they thought it was a cheap shot. I didn't see it that way. I it happened so fast. Um, you and I had this conversation in the in the uh, in the office just before we came on the air, and I'm, I'm I, it's hard to it's hard to tackle a guy. Yeah, uh, and. In this day and age, you can't go high like in the old days when we used to wear these big, huge shoulder pads and, and used your head with, as a weapon, your helmet as a weapon to come in and hit these guys hard. And if you want to stop them right away, you got to take their legs out. And the higher you hit on the legs, 
the harder it is to tackle them. Yeah. Um, so you go low, and you know the guy's foot's in the ground. It's and you got velocity. It's it's going to be a problem like that. We. Nick Chubb has had a major knee injury before in his career. He had it at the University of Georgia and took a year to come back. I'm amazed he even had has had the NFL career he's had, as productive as he has been, because he had an equally gruesome knee injury as a running back at Georgia. I was watching that game live on television when I saw it happen, and I, I didn't want to see a single replay after that one either. Ran out of bounds, his knee bent off. It was really weird. Um and I think it's the same knee. The look on Chubb's face getting carted off kind of said it all, and you hate to see that. But the running back injuries are pretty numerous here through two weeks. Austin Eckler's out. David Montgomery in Detroit is out. They just signed Bam Knight off of, uh, I think, maybe the Jets practice squad. I think that's right. Um, to fortify their ranks. And there are other backs around the league nicked up as well. Aaron Jones didn't play last week. In Green Bay, Austin so, Eckler's out. Is yeah. nicked, and yeah, the whole there's a whole list. Saquon Barkley may or may not Saquon play this has week. Got a bad ankle. Um, yeah, yeah. You saw Minka Fitzpatrick down on the field after making that tackle. He went to the hospital. Um, they were concerned about the pain that he had in his chest Monday night. He was eventually released after undergoing precautionary scans for what is believed to be just a chest contusion. NFL Network insider Tom Pelissero reported, according to sources, that Fitzpatrick's scans were negative, and there's optimism he'll be fine moving forward. How much do you think that is a reaction to what we saw happen in DeMar Hamlin last year? Guys complaining of chest pains. A little or bit. Or he's got pain in his chest. They're like, get him to the hospital. They well, didn't even wait. You can – I don't want to make a big leap here, but, it's, but I, I have opinions about all of this stuff, obviously. I played for a long time, and yeah. I tackled guys, and we tackled – differently than they're allowed to tackle now so everybody all, all the old guys the old ogs guys like me are like yeah they don't know how to tackle there's tackling's horrible in the nfl well it's completely different than it used to be guys are not allowed to tackle the way they used to tackle you can't lower your helmet you can't that's lead with your targeting head. And... you can't lead with your head you can't hit them in the head um they can't be in a in a un, uh, what is an defenseless a position. defenseless position all of this stuff or that is against the rules where it never used to be against the rules. So all this stuff about not tackling, that's why you see guys now come up and they tackle the football instead of the guy. They tackle the ball and try and wrench the ball free and the guy's moving down the field and they're spinning around trying to, yeah. and they're trying to get the ball away. That's the way it's done now because of things like this. You can't go – if you're going to knock something off its axis, if it's running – if somebody's running or anything – if it's a cup on a, on a table, if you hit it at the top and you push it over the top, it's very easy. Yeah. If you push it at the bottom, it slides. If you push it in the middle, it slides. If it's full, you've got to get it off its balance. And to do that, you hit it at either end. That's the way guys are tackling now. If you come in and you're not going to get the ball or if somebody's – you go in high or low and you can't, you're not allowed to go high, so now everybody goes low. That's the way the game's played now. Why doesn't everybody drive a now, shoulder pad through somebody's hips? Because they'll just bounce off. And, and keep their balance. You can't knock them off balance. They're too good. They're athletic. Unless it's a quarterback in the pocket. That's different because yeah. they're kind of standing there. That, like, well, even I'm then, thinking of Milano on Mike White last year. Like He folded him like a deck chair. Yes, because he's got a running start, too. Yeah. I mean, and if he's a, standing in the pocket. Right. So, and, also, and you're asking me, you know, this chest pain stuff, they're not allowed to leave with their head and their shoulders. 
So they come in and they try and, and they tackle him, try and hit him with their chest. Yeah, with their head. That's up. exactly what happened to Demar. Yeah, he hit that guy. The guy was kind of leaning forward, and Demar came in and because he can't t- take him on head to head. Right. He's got to go higher. He stands up, takes the guy with the big part of his chest, which kind of you know you always feel right, right. You feel stiff and strong there. Paid a paid a, almost paid the ultimate price for it, and now you got Mink Fitzpatrick doing the same thing. I mean, go, coming in and you, you tackle these guys high, you're not allowed to lower your head. But he went low, and I think he took a knee to the chest. That might have been it too. So, so. It, it's a risky game, no question about it. Um, and stuff like this happens all too often. I just think they were but very quick the evol- to, to get Fitzpatrick on a cart. They're zipping him out of there and took him right to the hospital. Like they, yeah. he said, chest, and it was like go time. And I, I have to believe that's in the wake of um, you know yeah. Demar's situation. Back in January, all these medical training staffs are like, go, just go, get them to the hospital. We don't care. Check them out. It makes some sense. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any. You always err on the side of caution. I don't think there's any, yeah, there's nothing else other than being precautious. Uh, It's precaution. So the, the game has evolved in the physicality of it into a place where we're at now where you know, guys are tackling way differently than they did 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Way differently. Uh, because of the rules they're not allowed to and because of just the physical adjustment of trying to get a guy knocked down as fast as you can without being able to do certain things with your body. So you go in across. And I used to tackle like this a lot because I was a smaller guy and sometimes the guys coming at you, a lot of times they had velocity. So you had to really, you know, Decide how are you going to accept right. the, the blow. And what I would do is just what these guys are doing now. You'd, I would jump across their legs and try and gather them and let them fall over the top of me. And you can do – well, when you can set up and do get ready for that, you can do that. But it, sometimes you got to go in there and you got to adjust because it's a free-flowing in situation. Yeah. You can't always just do it exactly the way you would like to do it in a, in a, in a vacuum. So there's no predicting how you're going to make these tackles until the guy, you know, the running back all of a sudden you go in there, you're going to make this tackle, and all of a sudden the guy's not there because the guy's a really good athlete. And now you're, you're whiffed. You've whiffed on him. So it, all of that goes into the equation. So this, this thing last night with Chubb and Fitzpatrick, yes, it's unfortunate. Nobody wants that. Even Minka Fitzpatrick doesn't want Chubb to go down. Um, it's just – it is – a physical part of the game, and it's it's not the best part of the game, uh, but it is a part of the game, and it's it is part of the game that makes it compelling to watch because it's big, strong guys playing with some physical risk on the line. Yeah. Uh, one other thing that came out of that game, Steve, and I missed this because I didn't catch enough of the game. According to Pro Football Talk, the NFL is going to review and investigate the two egregious face mask fouls by Deshaun Watson against Pittsburgh in which he grabbed a pursuing defender by his face mask and threw him to the ground. So this didn't happen just once. It apparently happened twice. Um, So I don't know if he got ticked off about what people were saying to him on the field, you know, jaw jacking, whatever it was. Uh I mean, the other thing that he did was he shoved an official after one of these plays. 
Yeah, I think when there was, a, you know, people were getting upset. Hey, what the heck are you doing? That's out of bounds, you know, doing that, dragging a guy to the ground. I mean, look at this. He's going out of bounds. You can let go right now. Our MSG viewers are seeing one of the face masks, and he just rips him and throws him out of bounds by the face mask. I mean, that's dangerous, number yeah. one, because yeah, you you're dealing with the head and neck area. I don't know. I mean, even a, you just hold on to that mask for a second, it's a penalty. That's right. You know what I mean? That's even right. if you let go now. So, I don't know. I mean, he shoved an official during one of the scrums that broke out after his first face mask penalty. Yeah, I I saw that, and I'm I'm with the one that he did in the face mask. I'm fine with I'm fine with the no call on the shoving the official when the one if it's the one we saw right here after this play. But um, the yeah, you can't do this. I mean, and he was flagged both times. Right, he was flagged both times. So. I don't know what – yeah, you can say what you want about that. He got flagged. He got penalized. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. If you want – I don't know what else you're going to do. Yeah. Um, you're not going to – I would highly suspect they're not going to throw a guy out for that. So – And you wouldn't have thrown him out for bumping the official? I don't have to tell not you a, bumping Not if that's what I saw, no. Okay. I mean, I'm the guy who got thrown out for doing it. Well, that's so, what I'm saying. I don't have to tell I'm, you about <laughs> right. you know, what bumping an official gets right. you. And you can they, get ejected. Right. You get ejected. Um, the, it's, a, it's a judgment call by the official. And certainly guys come into contact with the officials all the time. It's, and it's inadvertent. It's where the guy's not even looking and they bump it. Whatever. Um, and even the one I saw just now with Deshaun Watson where he, he's trying to sidestep the official to get a better look at the sidelines so we can jaw at him. It was totally non-aggressive towards the official. So that's why and I agree with that being a no call. Um, but they penalized him for doing the face mask thing both times. Certainly the Steelers don't have to like it, but they got the yardage and they got the win. And forget win or not, they got the penalties. So, yeah, I'm, I don't want to be ho-hum about all that. But, yeah, that's eh. – Whatever, you know, they, they called the guy for the face mask and that's what it should have been. Yeah. There is a little trouble in paradise in Cincinnati where Jamar Chase is not exactly thrilled with how the first two weeks have gone. As we know, the Bengals are 0-2. On top of that, Jamar Chase has had under 40 receiving yards in each of the first two games to open the season. No touchdowns on 10 catches. So... I mean, as an example, in 2021, Chase opened his rookie campaign, 155 yards and two TDs on seven catches. Last year, he had 15 catches or 183 yards in a score through two games. He isn't perturbed yet, but he is wondering, openly questioning. He basically said, look, I got to be patient. T. Higgins had the hot hand, so I'll just do my job, do what I can do, and let T. eat. That was a direct quote. Um courtesy of Fox 19 in Cincinnati, the two-time Pro Bowl receiver would like to see the ball push down the field a little bit more. He said, we got to get some go routes in there, just get some downfield shots. That way we can come back to anything else underneath. I think the problem here is Burrow with a bad calf can't get it down the field. Yeah, I think that's. A, I think Burrow's health is the issue here. Truth, When push comes to shove, I think that's the problem. And you don't – nobody's – complaining when you're winning problem is the Bengals are 0 and 2 now mm -hmm. and 
Now they were 0-2 last year and won the division. Right. Let's I not forget that. that. That's right. So they're they're not going. There's nobody over there panicking, but they do want to put the shovel down. I mean, they they should not dig any further yeah. into this hole they're in. So they got somebody's got to put the shovel down, and Chase, Jamar Chase is a guy that can help them. Oh yeah. Um. So, but problem is, everything hinges on Joe. Just like it does here in Buffalo on Josh. Just like it does in Kansas Ballot. City. Um, if he's not healthy and can't play the way he wants, they got to adjust. The Bills have done it like last year with Josh's elbow and even in back in 19 with his elbow a couple of weeks. And, the, you know, the whole thing. You got you to gotta make it work. The Chiefs did it without, without Tyreek. You know, they kind of just do it on the fly and morph into something. And Cincinnati's in the midst of that. The Chiefs and the Bills kind of continued to win games in the midst of all that, and Cincinnati's struggling to do that for whatever reason. So, and you know, if they start winning, everybody will sit down and shut up. But when you go 0-2 and and the the division's starting to slip away, although the division now doesn't look as – It's a little jumbled. Yeah, a little – And it probably will be for a while. doesn't look as forbidding as it it did, you know, two weeks ago. Yeah. The Browns, I think, just have the Bengals' number. It's a bad matchup for them for whatever reason, similar to the way the Jets are a bad matchup for the Bills. Um, The problem here, as you mentioned, is the fact that they're off to an 0-2 start because now – You've got a quarterback who re-aggravated his calf injury, and you have until Monday night before you play again, but it's an NFC game. So do you choose to sit Burrow and hope the calf gets better in two weeks' time as opposed to throwing him out there seven days later and hoping to get a win? Or do you sit him because it's an NFC opponent and you play him the next week against an AFC opponent in the Titans? They're on the road at the Titans in week four. This week they're home Monday night against the Rams. I, I think if, if they're 2-0, if they're two and oh, he sits. Even if they're 1-1, one one, he sits. But you're 0-2, and you got to win. Does he sit this week? I think their record is going to impact to some degree at least. If your record impacts It's not the it. end-all, be-all, but it's got them thinking, I would surmise. If your if your record one loss record affects your decision to whether to play a guy or not, that's why your teams like the Cincinnati Bengals, the Chicago Bears, the San Diego Chargers, the L.A. Chargers, the Arizona Cardinals, these teams that can't get out of the and year after year after year, the guy's health should come first. It's the way it is here in this building. We've seen last year in the playoffs they were sitting guys who maybe could have wanted to go, and they said no. You can't let your one-loss record decide how healthy a guy is. Right. And when you start doing that, you lose, you lose a little bit in the locker room, at least a little bit, and maybe a lot, particularly for a guy like Joe Burrow. Now, I know they're paying Joe Burrow umpteen dozens of millions of dollars, that's fine, and he deserves it and all that, but <clears throat> you, don't, you don't spend money on a sports car like Joe Burrow and then crash it into a tree. So, all right. Well, let me let me throw this at you. Does your decision change one iota if I tell you? What if I told you their backup quarterback is Jake Browning, whose first NFL action was last week when he threw a single pass after <laughs> Joe exited the game with the calf injury. Did he get intercepted? He is 0 for 1 passing 
He's our guy. NFL career. He's our guy. Let's go. You that, listen. That that's your team. Okay. That's your team, bro. Sleeve. You got to go. He's your guy. Put him in. He's next man up. Never played. I, it doesn't matter if it's Gilligan. <laughs> it don't matter. How you got to just come up with. I don't know. How, why was Gilligan the first person that came to mind when you're trying to think of a no-name quarterback? Where the hell do you get Gilligan? What do you think? If you're going into a game, if you're going into a game, would you rather have Gilligan or Skipper? I, I'm, I'm thinking if you have quarterback, backup quarterback, is it Gilligan? Well, at least Gilligan's got some escapability. You'd the skipper think. isn't eluding anybody. Yeah, but the skipper might be durable. He needs to be down snapping the ball, not the throwing it. The skipper might be durable, though, in the pocket. But, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's the guy. Let's go. You got Your coaching staff's responsible for putting that guy in there and making him ready, getting him ready, and giving him a game plan he can execute. So, whoever this guy is, yeah, he's next guy up. That's that's the way it works. That's the way it works. So, Jake um, Browning, hold on Jake to your hats, Browning, Bengals fans. Jake Browning could be your starting quarterback. He's out of the University of Washington, and he has never played NFL football aside from the snaps that he got last week after Burrow left the game. Jake Browning. Yep. He could be going against Aaron Donald and the Rams on Monday night. Yeah, that ain't – Stay not, tuned for that. Jake Browning's jerseys will be popping up. Will they? His family's going to get him. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, you got to. All right. So enough, enough on that. Let's move on to this because, Steve, I know you're going to have a vested interest in this. In week two, this according to ESPN.com's Kevin Seifert, good beat reporter for the Vikings, I believe. In week two, the NFL broke its records, set in week one, for the lowest kickoff return rate and highest touchback rate in a single week since at least 2000 and likely ever. The kickoff return rate, 10.7%. Touchback rate, 85.7%. Fair catch rule has done its job so far, discouraging short kicks and returns. Your thoughts? Well. Nine out of every ten kickoffs in week two went unreturned. Yeah. They they did they exactly what they wanted it to do. And the play is disappearing from football. Yeah, it's going to disappear. I mean, the only reason Damian Harris had a 43-yard return was because it only went to the four. Right. And he decided not to fair, fair catch, catch it. it. But he did get it out to the 42 or something, 43. Yep. Yep. So that was a, it was a right move on his. And I'll say this too, Brownie. There's a lot of dynamics working here. Um, historically, and we've, we've talked about it before on the show, historically the best kickoff return teams in the league are the – worst defenses because they can't stop anybody and they continue to, they get live reps. They get a lot of nobody nobody has ever taken a live rep of kickoff return in practice in the pros you just it may be back in the day but nobody has done it in decades you just can't practice it live it's because it's dangerous right that's yeah, why they're yeah, taking yeah, it out yeah. of the thing you can't do it you can't practice live kickoff and kickoff return in practice so the best teams are the ones who get the most reps and therefore become proficient at it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been true forever. Now, we've had this – we keep going back to this. You're going to get teams who will not have covered a live kickoff for a month in the NFL. Mm. If they don't – like, one every ten times. Right, and this is interesting. It'll because, be every three weeks. Because once the weather changes, particularly for the northern teams, they're not going to be able to get it to the end zone anymore. And then your strategy is going to have to change. And I wonder if that's where 
the line drive kicks come into play. Yeah, the bouncers. You want to line yeah. drive it, number one, so it can't be fair caught. And number two, to prevent a return altogether. Right. Like just rip it like a fastball down the middle and try to get it over the touch line behind the goalposts and it's at the 25 yeah, anyway and you don't have to cover it. Or get it if you really feel good about your cover team, Steve, you know, rocket it off the ground and get it down somewhere. But you don't know how the ball is going to bounce. And you don't want to risk it going over the sideline because then they've got it at the 40. So it's kind of like, I don't have to tell you, kicking to the middle of the field gives that return man more options. I mean, they have a play yeah, called. but It's a risk. You know what I'm saying. Plus, if you, if you shoot it down there off just off the ground, a line drive it, and you bounce it down there two or three times, anything more than two or three times, and it's like, eh, if it starts to get, it'll go off the field. If it yeah. has enough velocity, it'll always go off the field because it'll either go off the inline or off the sideline. Mm-hmm. So if you're kicking it down between the hash marks, trying to keep it on the field from out of bounds so you don't give up that penalty, you hit it down there hot. If you hit it down there hot, the guy's got a chance. It's a, it's, it starts to be a gamble. It, the guy's got a chance of getting it really fast. Yeah. If the faster the return guy gets it, obviously – the less ground your coverage team has covered and you've got a lot more space. And then you're, then you get into some problems where you're going to give up a big one. Like the bills did the bills got last week on the Raiders Mm -hmm. because the ball was short. It wasn't a hang time kick. No, he got it quick and took off towards the Raiders. He had like 15 yards of green grass in front of him. No, that's a, that's a huge problem for the coverage teams. But if you do kick it down there hot, and the thing gets down there but isn't going to quite make it to the end zone. And it's bouncing around. And it's bouncing around because just, this just in, the ball doesn't bounce good. Yeah, it's not round. If you get a guy down, and let me tell you something. <laughs> if you're down there trying to feel a bouncing ball right. and it's, you can't get your handle on it and you got 11 guys coming down there trying to literally bust you up, it's hard to find a handle. <laughs> it is – Dude, you want to talk about panic. Yeah, that's panic. That's panic. You've got 11 guys screaming and that's, down and at then, you. And then it turns into a huge play for the kicking team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go down there, and the ball's bouncing around. Guy can't get a handle on it. He's, and you, we've all seen it. Guy's looking at the coverage, trying to look, feel the ground, <laughs> trying yeah, to find yeah. the ball on the ground, and he can't take his eyes off the guys that are coming to try and get him. He can't find the ball. It's yeah. a big problem. So, But that's what you can get if you can pull it off. I wonder how much... Special teams coordinators are keeping some of those plays in their pocket for now, knowing when the weather is cold, they're going to have to turn to some of those tactics because the ball won't fly as far for an easy touchback you, out of the back of the end zone. You know, you're holding on to your line drive kick. or you are holding on to your bouncer, you know, your worm burner that's going to bounce 15 times? In Buffalo, you kick into the end zone. You kick into, and all those people who've been to Bill's games in the stadium, you know what I'm talking about. You kick from the tunnel end, kick off from the tunnel end, toward the scoreboard, and you go toward the visitor's corner, that far visitor's corner oh, over there. Oh, that's not a good place to kick. That ball, the wind knocks that ball down like a solid object. Yeah. And we, even when I played, we've got, we got double-digit turnovers over the years because they, the guys returning the ball didn't realize that. And you come up to you're gonna, the ball's coming right at you. You kind of you can gauge the distance and the spin. You're gonna get underneath it, and all of a sudden it's not there. You got to like oh, and sprint five or ten yards it. to get under it. Yeah, and they can't get there in time because and it and it drops. Now the ball's on the ground live, and the coverage is right on top of them. 
we got a multitude of turnovers yeah. like that. I remember Bobby April called a pooch kick one time and got that on a windy day against the St. Louis Rams. Former Bill Eric Flowers tried to feel that he was an up man, certainly not in, not qualified to be doing that. Right. And the ball hung up in the air. He tried to get to it, and it bounced off his leg. Bills recover, go in for a touchdown, and yeah, lose. It, you know, it's so in the winter. There may be even the guy will fair catch it, period. Uh, but you got to get under it. Yeah. And even in you know field, we've all seen goodness great. Tyler Bass has seen it. You kick that ball down the middle on a forty-two yard or down in that end of the end zone, you got no shot. It's going off towards the yeah corner. All bets right? are off. Yeah. So the, I'm just wondering if as as the weather gets colder, if some of the tactics that some of these special teams coordinators have dreamed up will start to surface. You know, as we get later yeah. in the season, because just kicking it to the back of the end zone isn't going to happen when it's 28 degrees with 25 mile per hour winds. Like, what are we doing now? Well, so I wonder if they're saving it for that time of the year or if it's just going to continue as long as the, possible. The problem is when they kick it in through the end zone, they know they're getting into the 25. If they kick it high and out and outside in the field of play, yeah. there's that sense of doubt. Is he going to fair catch this? Right. And that that breeds hesitation in the coverage team. Right. I don't. Did he fair catch it? Did I miss something? Did I, you know, you got to go down there and cover it. And you know, selfishly, I want to see different tactics employed. Oh, I do too. Like I want to see a kicker put a watermelon ball on the tee and right. kick it that kick, way. Set it on like the I'm, side. I want to yeah. see some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll make it I'm, interesting. I was a little shocked that we didn't see a lot of that in week one. I was surprised that we didn't see some guys yeah. hitting it hot down the middle uh, with good – I'll say this too. Some of this, particularly on a team like Buffalo, you know, Taiwan Jones isn't here. You know, Medikevich had a short preseason. Some of their core special teams guys yeah. – and even Dodson didn't play much special teams in the preseason because he was doing the middle linebacker thing. You might want to get your feet under you on your coverage teams and find out what you got and you say, listen, I think we've got yeah. a pretty good group here. Let's see if we can exploit them. Because if you got that, you need to get an edge with it. Don't just send them out there to run a wind sprint. Right. If you got a good coverage team, you you got to use it. Yeah. Um, so maybe in the next coming weeks, we'll see teams, okay, if they say, yeah, you know what, we're covering them pretty good. Let's, let's sit one hot down the middle on the ground and see what they can do. Quickly, before we go to break, uh, the XFL and USFL are reportedly merging. There are multiple reports that the two spring leagues are close to an agreement that they will merge and become one spring league. Obviously, there's a lot of questions there that have to be answered. Who owns the equity? Who televises the games? How many teams are there going to be in the combined league? Will they play in home markets, or are they going to continue to operate in these hub centers where they've been working at like two, three, four cities the whole season? And who's going to run the league? Which executives are staying and which ones are getting bounced? I mean, if this merger is happening. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that all comes out in the wash. But I think for long-term viability, it's probably better to have just one spring league instead of two struggling to survive, if you know what I mean. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I, don't know I mean, nobody cares now because it's right. NFL football season, but there's a lot that's going to have to – there's going to be a lot of lawyers involved. There's, I'll say <laughs> this. Both leagues, if they're, if they're merging, and they, and they do it, in my opinion, like my, from 1,000 miles away, and I, if they do it right, both leagues will say, hey, listen, uh, this hub thing from the cities that we were working in, it worked really good for us. 
we were we felt really good about it. We think we should do that in the new spring league. The other team will say, and the other league's got to say, okay, good, no, yes, no, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know how you have a team like the, whatever the Birmingham Stallions playing out of Birmingham and never playing a game in Birmingham. Yeah, it's odd. But and it's hard to develop a following. Too. But if you've got a, a good a good crowd that comes up every week for a home game in the hub city, yeah. okay. The TV deal is more important for their long term viability. So I think that's why the hub idea even came into existence. They cared less about the fans coming and to the game and too. more about the TV eyeballs on the game and the money they're getting from the TV networks and to air the games by having it in one hub in a hub city the production cost of the game goes way down yeah. because there's no travel involved. You know, they got people in, in the yeah, city. They're, yeah. they're already there. It's all set up. You don't have to bring the trucks in. It's all set up right. every game. So it, the production costs drop dramatically. And, yeah, makes well, some sense financially there. We'll keep an eye on how that all comes out and shakes out and what they call it. Um, but the topic of discussion for you today, through two games, what part of the Bills' offense – or player is most encouraging through the first two weeks of the season. It might be a single player that you think is his performance is encouraging. There might be a part of this offense that you like how it's unfolded through the first two games. Let us know what that is for you at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Those are the numbers to get on board. We got open lines for you. So hop on or hit us up on the tweet sheet and let us know. We'll take a break here, but your phone calls next. You're on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Ticketmaster is the presenting sponsor of the Buffalo Bills 2023 season. Ticketmaster, the official ticket marketplace of the NFL. Discussion topic for you today is what part of the Bills offense is the most encouraging through the first two weeks of the season? Could be a player, could be a personnel grouping, could be could be play calling, it could be anything. Anything under the sun that has you encouraged going into week three, you let us know at 803-0550. One eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. Let's get to the phones. Leading us off today, Jim in East Aurora. What do you got for us, Jim? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Uh, real quick, before I get into my player or or part of the offense, I I happen to just jump in when you guys are talking about the league that was combining with the hub, and you mentioned Birmingham never playing in Birmingham. I couldn't help but laugh thinking about the Jets and the Giants never playing in New York. Yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So my, it's two for me. One is Spencer Brown. I hope what we saw Sunday trends upwards. And I think I heard Sal talking about that. He had mentioned his week against the prep squad was one of the most intense ones due to uh, Kings Lee uh, going against him, just going full bore. So I'm hoping Spencer Brown's on a trending up. And then um, play calling, a nice balanced play call and Josh sticking to the plan. So I know it's multiple things there, but those are the things that are impressing me so far. All right, that sounds good, Jim. Thanks. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, that that points to the value of the scout team. They knew that Max Crosby was a high-motor player, so they took their best high-motor player on the scout team, which is Kingsley Jonathan in this particular case, who is a high-motor player himself. And they said, all right, you're Max Crosby this week. Go get Spencer Brown ready. Go. Yeah. It worked. Yeah. So – 
There is value. In, you, here's the thing with the scout team, which I think goes unrecognized by most fans because, you know, you don't really hear about it that much. Um, casting is very important with the scout team. You want to mimic the guy they're going against as best as you possibly can, whether it's a pass rusher, whether it's the opposing quarterback. I mean, you know, time and time again, they used to have Isaiah McKenzie be Lamar Jackson right. when they were playing the Ravens. And it helped because it, it gets you acclimated to the speed you're going to see literally on the field. Because if you've never played Lamar before and you're just watching him on film going, oh, yeah, he's fast. And then you get on the field, you're like, whoa. Not only is he fast, he's six. Four, yeah, six three, six four. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you're right. Spencer Brown had a nice day and he got prepared for it well. But yeah, they used to give, and sometimes they still they used to give little you know game balls and stuff like. That. Sometimes they give the scout team guys yeah. game balls, yeah, uh, for the work they did. Um, it's it's always traditionally has been a very only in house appreciated role. And I'm not. And I'm not going to try to take anything away from the way the offensive line played last week because I thought they were excellent in several areas. But again, Ken Dorsey's game plan of getting the ball out of Josh's hands quick actually helps as well. There was more under center calls, which I think allows the lineman to fire off the ball a little bit better instead of throwing in reverse from the get-go in shotgun. So I, I think there were several elements that the coaching staff put into the game plan that helped their players succeed, if that makes sense. So right. it was good all the way around. Let's go to Steve in Florida next. What do you got for us, Steve? Uh, same thing, pretty much, touching on the off, the whole offensive line as a whole. They were okay against the Jets. The Jets are a tough team, so. but uh, hopefully going forward, you didn't hear much from Dion. He seems like he's a little more disciplined now, and you can definitely tell they kicked Spencer Brown in the butt a little because – he did an amazing job. They were opening up holes. and uh, That's all I wanted to touch on, and uh, go Bills. All right. Sounds good, Steve. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, I, I said there were several elements. There were consistent holes in the run game. Now, again, we have to remember, and again, we don't want to take away from the job the line did. They did a good job. They executed. We have to remember the caliber of opponent, too. I mean, it's Max Crosby and a bunch of guys. I hate to say it. So, um you know, there's there's some of that in there, too. This week will be a whole different test. They're going against four first-round draft choices on that front. And Chase Young is back, the former number two pick right. in the draft a few years ago, right. who is a premier pass rusher when he's right. Yeah, they've got some horses on there. Not to side. mention Pro Bowl defensive tackles. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne. Right. So they, yeah, they've got their work cut out for them this week. And that was one of the games where this offensive line in its upgraded form from a year ago was able to kind of have its way, play extremely well, run the ball when we want when they wanted to, 183 yards rushing. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, they, they lit them up a little bit. Um, Josh got sacked. He got sacked once or twice. Yeah, the one play. One play because he ran out of bounds uh, behind yeah. the line of scrimmage. That counts as a sack. And then the other one he got tackled on. And the other they got him. Uh, second and long, and he got – or second and eight, and he got sacked. Right away he and got sacked. Third they, and 17. They had, a, they had a guy come in untouched, and Josh was looking the, the other direction, thought he was picked up because he didn't believe the guy was coming. And he got bottled um, up in the pocket a little bit. And he, got, uh, and he got taken down right away. So what are you going to do? I mean, that, the game, they played very well against an opponent. Maybe in retrospect they should have played well against. 
Um, we'll see what happens this week. Back to the phones and to Mike in Amherst. What do you got for us, Mike? Hi, guys. Um, for me as a fan, I think what was most encouraging uh, was seeing Josh and the offense have a good bounce back week. You know, when you have a poor performance and everybody's down on you, you know, I think that's what great players do, right? They they bounce back and mm-hmm. prove who they are. and They don't turn one bad game into two or three or a whole bad season. So I was I was just really impressed with how Josh bounced back and I really enjoyed the offense. It was really refreshing to see them be, um, you know, patient and deliberate and just be smart with the football. They looked like a really, really good football team. And that Bills team we saw on Sunday, to me, that's a Super Bowl team right there playing that way. Because, I mean, I think you guys agree with me, but I don't really think many other teams in the NFL can compete with us over 60 minutes if we're smart with the football. So, it was extremely encouraging to see for me. And uh, my question to you guys is, do you think that um, Diggs and Allen, you know, I know Diggs love them, but I know he likes to get his, you know, his stats and his numbers. Do you think we can get those guys to buy into the notion of this is the winning formula? It may not always look sexy. It may not always, you know, make the highlight reels, but wins are better than style points to me. So, I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. All right, Mike. Yeah, well, for your last question about whether you can get Diggs and Josh to sign up, yeah, if you're winning games, nobody's going to complain. In fact, they're going to be all about it. Uh, You don't put up 38 points without everybody jumping on board, and that's what the Bills did. Uh, That's Steph Diggs, Gabe Davis, uh, Dawson Knox, Kincaid, all those guys. James Cook, of course, had a great day. Uh, Nobody will squawk when you're winning games. Um, so that's, um, that's the way. And we, we were talking about what's happening in Cincinnati. Now that they're zero and two and now you got Jamar chase saying, Hey, let's do the guys. When you don't win, they want to do something. They want to do something else. Um, when you, when you are winning, particularly by four touchdowns, ain't nobody going to say anything. Right. And, and we'll have this conversation uh, in the second hour of the show when we have Dan Orlovsky on from ESPN, because we talked to him last week about getting back to an efficiency model on offense. The Bills did that. Now where do they go from here? Do they adopt that as their model for winning, or is that game plan and opponent specific? we got to take more of your phone calls first, though, when we return. Got to take a break here. But Ron in California, Gary in PA, Mark in West Seneca, hang tight. We'll get to you in the next segment here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. What part of the Bills offense is the most encouraging for you through the first two weeks of the season? Back to the phones and to Ron in California. What do you got for us, Ron? Uh, hello, guys. Great show. Thanks. Uh, you know, it is it is true. Uh, leadership starts from the top. And we've been noticing this uh, growth through the years. And in uh, last year, we were wondering how Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen would interact and we found out the results 13 and 3 this year now i see i see more growth i see uh ken dorsey now is uh taking the whole overall offense into consideration and i love their play action plays uh uh especially josh allen under center 
You know, honestly, I was so impressed. I didn't know where the ball was going. And I didn't know if it was going to the running back, Josh Allen was going to throw it or bootleg out. But it just seemed like we threw off the defenses consistently. And I was, I'd just like to know how you feel about that. Thank you. Yeah, I was, I was very happy to see it, Ron. I'm, I'm sure Steve was too. I mean, the play fake that Josh pulled off on the touchdown pass to Dawson Knox when he rolled to his left was a thing of beauty. Like, they didn't know where the ball was. And right. that's why Knox is by himself with no one for five yards around him in any direction for an easy touchdown. Um, there's just more ways, I feel, that you can deceive the defense when your quarterback is under center. From a play fake perspective, um, you know, from a run pass perspective, because we've seen it, right, the last couple of years, Steve, where – Josh is in the shotgun, and he sticks it in the running back's breadbasket who's standing right next to him, and he pulls it out in half a second. To me, if I'm a linebacker, I'm buying that for maybe a step or a half a step, so maybe I take one false step to you. But if you're coming at it from under center, and you turn your back, and you start motioning towards a running back to hand him the ball, now I'm probably taking two or three steps towards the line of scrimmage because this could be a run. Right, and now that they've started doing that also – and I, you'll notice this, they're in shotgun, and James Cook is off. He's over by the tackle, one of the other tackles. Mm. So the line, they snap that ball, and everybody's scattering out of there, except James Cook kind of stands there. Josh runs over to him and hands him the ball on the draw play. Yeah. So you catch the defense thinking pass, and then you're going to run it. Um, and that worked really well a couple of plays. And on a third, I think in third and fourteen. Cook almost got it. He first got, down. Yeah, yeah he yeah, almost yeah. got the first down. Uh, so they really had some nice play. Now, in the third and 14, certainly they're dropping out, thinking pass. But uh, it was a really effective play call that almost unexpectedly worked better than it did. I mean, they, yeah. got, a, they got a 12-yard gain, so it was a pretty good gain. But those are the kind of things on both sides of it where you want to think, want to think run after the snap and then throw it or think pass after the snap and then run it. Mm-hmm. Um, it works both ways, and, and I thought Ken Dorsey sprinkled all of that in effectively. To Mark in West Seneca here before the break. What do you got for us, Mark? Hey, guys. Um, my What's encouraging to me is I really – I mean, I've been – I've called you guys, and I've been critical of Dorsey for, for a while now. But, hey, kudos when they're there. And he, I thought he called his best game uh, on Sunday uh, overall. And I really, really am impressed with the personnel packages and the different formations that he's coming up with. I think he even had Diggs in the backfield on one. Yes, one he did. Uh, yeah, and I mean, it, it's just been—it's been nice to see moving people around, get, keeping defenses off balance with the talent we have. And if we keep defenses off balance, I mean, it's going to be really, really tough to defend that offense. And the other thing I want to mention—that you guys started talking about being under center. With the threat of what Josh can do with his legs, um, I would really like to see goal line situations inside the three, him always being under center. I think that gives us such an advantage uh, if they do that. And lastly, really quick, um, hey, uh, Brownie, how many more jobs can you take? I've seen you were on Bill's, one Bill's Live tonight uh, after the game <laughs> again. So, so, I mean, I think you're trying to get as many jobs in as possible. Every time I turn the TV on now, you're there. you got to hustle, man. <laughs> got to hustle. <laughs> so, thanks, guys. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the call. Yeah, I mean, down on the goal line, I'm all for Josh being under center because, like, if you're 
three-yard line or further in, and he's under center, I think it makes the bootleg game, like, dangerous down there. For him, like, yeah. he could come out on a bootleg, which he did on the touchdown pass to Dawson Knox, and you got to, you got to, you can't go eight yards deep in the end zone. You got to hug the goal line because if he takes off and runs for it, you got to stop him. Right. Yeah. Especially he, if you're out yeah. on an island over there. Like, you got to, yeah. you got a decision to make. Down in the red zone under center, the, one of the things that the Bills did extremely well, they were five of seven in the red zone, which is, a, which is really good. Five different guys scored touchdowns, and they were always with, with Murray and, Damian Harris. There you go. I got it. With Murray and Harris in there, you knew there was a chance they were going to just hand it off, which they did. Both those guys they got ran a, well got in the red rainy. zone too. When you can run in the red zone, it is a huge boost for your offense. That's one, the one thing that scares defenses. That's why teams pack it in there because if you can run on them in the red zone, you're kind of defenseless. Yeah, because you take away a lot of the risk. Right. You know, unless you don't have a sure-handed ball carry, and we've documented it this offseason, Harris and Latavius Murray are two of the yeah. more sure-handed running backs in football. Yeah. They're, so, it was a really good game. Red zone offense, um, the conversion offense, on the, even on the fourth downs, were, were right on the money. I, they were, I think, two of three. Or two Goal of, to go, they were four of five. Four of five. So, um, it's pretty good red zone efficiency. And – I think the key to it was the fact that that run threat was there constantly. Yeah. Break time for us because hour number two begins with our weekly visit from ESPN's Dan Orlovsky, a former NFL QB and football analyst. We'll dice up some of what we saw on Sunday against the Raiders and take an early preview look at that Washington Commanders team and just what quarterback Sam Howell is all about. Dan Orlovsky up next here on One Bills Live. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are, hour number two on a Tuesday. Time for our weekly visit with ESPN's NFL analyst, Dan Orlovsky. And his segment, as always, is brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Fans, round up your family, friends, or coworkers for a fantastic game day experience at 500 Pearl. Reserve your pack and book your group event today at 500 Pearl.com. Dan, we talked about efficiency last week, and look what happened. Highly efficient and unstoppable against the Raiders last week. Question, though, the question here, Dan, is do you think this was game plan and opponent-specific, or do you think this could be a potential model going forward? I would say to answer that, it should be both of those things, really. It, it's certainly lesser defense that, that factors into this. But really good teams should hammer lesser units, lesser defenses. Um, I think the question bears this, Chris. So the comparison from week one to week two, a couple things, how they used the 12 and third, they got into 13 personnel. Mm -hmm. So one back three tight ends. So 
how they used it. They they decided running the football it was going to be downhill. It, it was it, when they when they got into that twelve and thirteen personnel and ran the football. They were going to try to just create double teams, allow the tight ends to work together, and we're not trying to outthink the the run game, so to speak. So that that was different than in week one. I think number two, you saw Josh Allen booting to his left and his right a little bit more. You guys know me; I've been asking for that for two years. Yeah, that shouldn't just be because against it's against the Raiders. And the third thing was we saw Josh under center a little bit more. I I, I think that I don't have the percentage exactly because we're doing it on NFL live today. I think he was under center in week one, like 9% and week two, like 38%. So it's not going to be always that high, but to, to kind of be the complete offense that is necessary. And, and this is why <clears throat> When you put them under center a little bit and they run a little bit of the multiple tight end stuff and they get them outside of the pocket and, and one, it, it helps everybody, not just Josh Allen, you know, the, 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 it helps the offensive line, Eric Wood, who I know works with you guys is, 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 is can vouch for this. Like you're forcing the defense to play line wise, just a little bit more unsettled. You create help numbers wise in your protection. So your quarterback can trust the pocket a little bit more. Three, you're manipulating the defense a little bit more, you know, and so I, I think that it, it certainly had something to do with the opponent and whatnot, but I think that is a formula that should really become more of a, like a foundational piece for the offense throughout the season, rather than just specific to, oh, we're playing the Raiders. Yeah. And you, you speak about playing the Raiders and, and the Bills run game certainly got going. And you're right, the Raiders' defense may may not be as good as the Jet defense was, certainly, and perhaps not even the Washington front that they're going to face this week. But when it does come down to it, you do have to have the willingness to hand the ball off like that. And James Cook ran it well. What did you see as – and I brought this up earlier. They ran the ball sometimes, it seemed to me, as effectively out of shotgun as they did under center, particularly out in the field, when instead of making it look like – a run and then passing it like a play action. They also made it look like a pass mm -hmm. out of shotgun and then ran it with James cook and a draw plays and those kind of things. Um, how effective does that need to be against a team like Washington? And certainly it was effective against a team like Oakland or <laughs> yeah, Las, Las I, I just, Vegas. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, that, that, that little, the, it was, I think it was a little bit, those plays, Steve are a little bit, more central to the Raiders because they were so late to drop coverage down. They were so committed to not allow the ball to go over their head and, and drop coverage down. So I did like now indifferent of any team, if they're going to do that and be one of those teams that rotates safeties late or tries to play with such a high umbrella, then that has to be a part of your run game. I think, you know, with the front that they're going to face this week, the the two defensive tackles are so premier and so elite that there's really two there's really like two ways to try to run the football against the guys like that. Number one, you have to use double teams. You have to make a concerted effort to put two bodies, four shoulders on them, double shoulder pads on them to try to displace them, to try to control them. And the second thing is you try to use their aggression against them traps whams draws screens and, and i think that that that's got to again be i don't 
believe that their run package or run philosophy should be that different this week than last week. I absolutely believe that it should be again in that same vein. of. And when I say these duo runs, duo means we're getting multiple double teams. Number one, you're, you're likely to get less negative plays because everyone's getting double teamed for the most part. Two, you're, you're going to minimize penetration. Three, it gives a back like a James Cook. More often than not, the chance to get the ball to the line of scrimmage and then his lateral ability, his vision comes into play a little bit more. So the Bills aren't going to become a run-centric football team. They're not going to become a run-first football team. I just believe in when you're so talented at quarterback and at the perimeter, the more that you can allow the offensive line to have moments of dictating to the defense, to have moments of not having to strain so much in pass protection. I just get to watch the ball get snapped and push this guy as hard as I can. That has a cumulative effect play to play to play. And not just Buffalo. I think a lot of teams in the NFL have lost sight of that. And I think that this should be very much so week two, uh, a blueprint of how to handle a really good defensive line. Yeah. And I know I talked to you last week about, you know, Mahomes adopts the efficiency model, goes all the way to the Super Bowl. Uh, Burrow adopts a, a, a quick out-of-the-hand passing game with Zach Taylor. They go all the way to the AFC title game. And people are like, oh, well, Josh didn't look like the usual Josh last week. Now, look, most people were happy with the win. But we did get a couple <laughs> of callers yesterday complaining about style points and him not chucking the ball down the field. And I'm just saying, do you want style points or do you want to win? I'm taking the victories every way to Sunday. And when you get to the postseason, Dan – you have to play this efficient model, do you not? And Chris, absolutely. And there's 70 snaps in a game. Some games, and, and that was that was like that was my big complaint with week one. And that's why I use that phrase, we have to grow up. It wasn't mocking Josh, Josh. It wasn't belittling Josh. It was okay, this defense is playing this style. To win this game, I have to play this way. Marcus Spears is sitting right here with me. And we were just having the conversation about Dak Prescott, who just played the Jets. And I and he was like, the difference is Mike McCarthy had Dak playing a certain style for that game. And if if teams are going to play that way versus Josh in this offense, that's the way they have to play. That's the maturity. That's where there is that growing up of, I don't want to play this way. And this isn't fun. It's not as fun as I want it to be, but this is the way that they're challenged. And this is what happens when you consistently show that you're going to do that. Cause what do you want? 40 scored on you if you're a defense? Cause then eventually they have to no longer play that style. They have to play the way that they don't want to play. And that's when Josh and the big plays to Gabe and Steph are going to be there. But you have to consistently outgrind defenses. And that's in, in, into the playoffs when teams are going to force you to play to the style that you don't want to. A hundred percent you have to be able to do it. So we're two weeks into the season. I know that we haven't seen very much. Uh, from all, we haven't seen everything from all of these teams offensively. They still, they're still have got offensive stuff that they want to unfurl. The Bills are no different. Have the do the have the Bills shown enough to win different ways against different opponents? And if not, and and I know they haven't shown everything. So what do you would you like to see them be able to do well 
in order to win a, some other tough game. You know what I mean? They got to throw it to win. Yeah. You got to run it to win. You got a, a short pass to win. You got to go deep to win. All of that stuff. What do you still need to see from this Bills offense as it moves forward? I, I'd say the consistency and the willingness to do that. You know, the, the, to not be like those callers, respectfully, who call in and say, well, we want to, we you know, BCS National Championship style points. You know, the consistency and the willingness to do that. Because, like, here's the thing. Every team, not every team, but teams are going to play you differently. Like, if the Buffalo Bills are going to play the Kansas City Chiefs, the Chiefs aren't going to play the same way that the Raiders did. The Raiders played in many ways softer, but the, the, the way the Jets did. Um, if you're looking at those top teams in the AFC, the Miami Dolphins, I guarantee you, are going to force Josh to play that way. They, they're just going to. So, you know, will Ken be willing to call the plays in that capacity? Will Josh be willing to operate in that capacity on that consistent basis? Um, I, I would say this. I think, and it's just not central to Buffalo, but I really believe Two calling cards for offenses that we will see kind of elevate above everyone else in the NFL this year outside of the teams that have just really unique quarterbacks. One, the pass game has to be completion-driven and efficient. And I think we saw that at a Buffalo last week. And the thing that I would like to see more is a more developed under-center play-action game. Uh, the, the way I look at it like this for Buffalo – so teams are going to play you guys in this umbrella shell, whether it's a tighter umbrella, bigger umbrella, whatever. Teams are going to try to force you to do that. There's only one way to create chunk pass games in that play action. It is not by drop back. It just isn't. There's You don't threaten the defense enough. So I think that I would like to see them do that a little bit more, put them under center, utilize the tight ends and then develop a little bit more of a chunk play action action game where they get to some of the three level concepts and they get posts and crossers and returns and, and just to have that in their bag. So if yeah. it's needed as this season goes on, that they are, they're capable of doing it. All right, let's spin it forward to Washington, the week three opponent here, Dan. And I mean, I haven't, I haven't watched their whole game against Denver yet. We don't get instantaneous access to the All-22 like some other more important people I know. Um, but <laughs> Not more important. Not <laughs> but uh, I was impressed with some of the ball location that Sam Howell was able to accomplish on, on deep throws, like putting it exactly yeah. where it needs to be so only his guy can make the play. I mean, I'm, I'm coming in a complete neophyte to Sam Howell's game. What have you witnessed from him, and what do the – what do the Bills defenders need to be focused on here going against Howell and this receiving core specifically? Okay, so I, I think that Josh Allen has one of the best arms in football, certainly down the field. Sam Howell, it's not that good, but it ain't far off. This guy who doesn't have massive stature has an absolute cannon for an arm. I called some of his games in college football, and – you know, when we hear that phrase like arm talent, he has that. He has the ability to um, drive the football down the field in a very high level of ball placement ability. And it, 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 he's got a ton of reps doing it because it was a big part of what he did at North Carolina. They ran a ton of RPOs that pushed the ball downfield, all that stuff. So 
Um, his arm is, is very impressive. I, I think the best thing that's happened to Sam Howell this year so far is he's going to make mistakes. He did that in week one against Arizona. He's got to learn when to and when not to. Um, Eric Bieniemy coming over has done two things. One, a lot like they did with Patrick, they build in some really easy completions. And when the quarterback takes them and uh, takes those free completions – it just allows the play caller to consistently push the envelope because he knows that the guy's going to take it. All right, we'll cl- I'll call chunk play next play. I'll call chunk play next play. We'll take a shot next play. As long as you continue to get us into second and six, second and seven type stuff. Um, and I think the second thing is, you know, when you're a really talented thrower and you live with an aggressive first mindset, you place the ball where you want to. You don't think there's really a ton of defenses that can take those throws away as long as you trust your eyes. And there's, again, a difference between aggression and reckless. Sam's become very aggressive with the football down the field. And uh, when you do that and you can throw it, uh, you know, the the windows down there um, are going to be stressed by him down the field because he's he's an ultra-confident player right now. And tell us a little bit about his weapons. Of course, Terry McLaurin is one of those guys. What about the rest of them? Yeah, so Terry, you have to start there, Steve. One, probably one of the best opportunity guys in the NFL with the football. You know, like you throw it to him in one-on-one situations, and he does such a great job at using his body to go up and make catches. Uh, Really good route runner, but it's really just the the competitiveness that he plays with when the ball is in the air. Dotson is – I can use this for you guys. Dotson's a little bit like Stevie Johnson – you know, just just a tremendous off the line of scrimmage route runner, and then the separation at the top of his routes is very unique. It, now it's a little bit more maybe with the burst. Steve was so crafty. It's a little bit more with with the burst as a route runner, uh, and he he is a very very um, sudden player route running wise. Curtis Samuel, a, a person that's kind of like for them in between ish he's not Debo Samuel he's not you know maybe a true line him up and and go get him the football in one-on-one pass running situations but they they utilize them with touches you know they're just trying to get him touches Uh, Logan Thomas is a good tight end um you know their two backs are a big part of it too as well you know Brian Robinson is going to be a handful to tackle you know he is a his physical presence going to challenge this defense and then Gibson is a really utilized pass catching back out of the backfield they'll you they'll run routes with him legit wide receiver routes so they they got some good talent around Sam and I know we didn't get to ask you last one for me Dan about Buffalo's defense obviously they had a, a strong performance last week with the three takeaways yeah and also completely shut down Josh Jacobs I mean, nine carries for minus two yards. I saw Elias put some stat out saying he's the first defending rushing champ to ever have a game the following year in which he finished with negative yardage. Um, it's pretty rare. What what did you like most about how that defensive performance was executed? Yeah, Ed Oliver was one of those games where you sat there and said you could put put his name in for best player in the field on Sunday. You know, he was he was dominant. The interior of that defensive line was fantastic and. I was surprised. You guys know me. I've talked about how this defense plays in nickel so often and uh, or the three safeties and man, the teams are going to run it on them. And, and the, the 
Raiders got into 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end with a legit fullback. I told you guys they would do that last right. week and just try to run the football. They weren't doing it to create matchups. They they did it to try to run it, and they were, weren't capable of doing it. And so the, I thought the run fits were really good, but it was really about Ed you know, penetrating so well. I, I would say this, and this is why I – have warned everybody do not judge Buffalo until Vaughn comes back because I would say you still want more out of the pass rush, but I just don't know what that pass rush is going to be this year in 2023 until Vaughn comes back. And so uh, the run defense, very impressive last week. I, I, I still don't want to kind of peg um, who they're going to be as a pass rush unit until Vaughn comes back. Yeah, and, if, and certainly um, they're not in a hurry to get him back until he's 100% healthy. Mm-hmm. Plus, they want to give themselves a shot at the tournament. If he's going to be there, they want him for when it really counts at the second half of the season, stretch run to the playoffs, playoff seating, playoff games, all of that. Totally. And so we probably won't see him for, a, what, a month. Anyway, he's, he's due in two weeks. He's going to be eligible. Yeah. What? So if this defense, uh, the way it's currently constructed, uh, Milano seems to be playing at a, an extremely high level. The interception he made yesterday, yeah. I don't know if you saw it, was – It was ridiculous. It was unbelievable. Um, he's yeah. playing at a high level. Bernard seems to seem to be much more comfortable yesterday than – or Sunday than he was a week before. Um, you know, where – this team needs to evolve, no question about it. it. needs to get better on both sides of the ball. Defensively, though – uh, how? Where do you think? You, aside from the pass rush you just mentioned, what do you look for from this defense that's different than they've been in the past with Sean McDermott as a coordinator? Yeah, I think um, the the thing that I would say stood out a little bit, other than those two things, was some of the simulated pressures that they utilized. Um, I think <clears throat> so. My theory, I haven't said this publicly yet is at least through two weeks, I've seen more simulated pressures in the NFL by more teams than I have seen in the past. What I mean by that is they have six or seven bodies up at the line of scrimmage in these passing situations. And you as an offense, and certainly as a quarterback, you don't know how many of those guys are actually going to blitz. You have to be prepared for all of them. And teams are, you know, sometimes rushing three out of that. Sometimes they're rushing four out of that. So you're simulating, here comes this blitz, this pressure package. But it's really usually only four guys that come. So who's the one-on-one? Where do you send your offensive line? And I I, I saw a little bit out of that from Buffalo in week two. I I think that they should lean into it a little bit more. Um, I don't think that's just central to Buffalo. I think that um, we're, we're going to see a little bit more of that, not a little bit, a lot more of that uh, in the NFL this year. Dan, thanks as always for the insight. Uh, good luck on the college scene this week and uh, on NFL Live as well. We'll catch up with you next week, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. Take care. That's Dan Orlovsky, NFL analyst for ESPN. And this segment, as always, brought to you by Ellicott Hotels. Yeah, I'm – I'm kind of curious because he was just talking to Steve about the simulated pressure looks that Sean McDermott deployed last week. And more often than not, people were dropping out and it was just a four man rush, which they in an ideal world like to do all the time and generate enough pressure that way. So they can drop seven into coverage and make life difficult for the quarterback to get the ball out of his hands. 
I'm just wondering with Sam Howell and his eagerness to push the ball down the field, if instead of simulated pressure, you bring the heat and see if, you know, a young, inexperienced quarterback can handle it. Well, that's not all the time, but right. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, as, as Dan said, more than we have seen to this point. Yeah, and, and that's interesting. The simulated pressure means yeah, just fooling them into thinking five, yeah. the four guys that are rushing are not the four guys that are rushing. Yeah. Um, that's that means you catch your offensive lineman kind of stepping towards a guy who actually drops out into coverage, and then the other guy on his other shoulder is going. So he's got to like reach back or, or kind of adjust. Or he's standing there blocking nobody. Right. Or he's standing there in a in a gap with nobody to block. Uh, a lot of teams do it, and I agree. It's hard, and for, particularly for a young quarterback to sort through that, giving him stuff he's never seen. What you do is what it gets to is the quarterback then will just kind of give a like a right or a left, and then the offensive linemen sort it out amongst themselves. So at least they know who they're thinking about. So the quarterback can just either trust them or whatever. He's going he's gonna to say, listen, then we're going to go left, go left, and I'm going to take anybody who comes off the right, and I'm going to get him hot. So if he comes and he's unblocked, I'm going to throw the football to my guy. If he's not, then I got time. I'm going to let you pick it up, and we're going to – you know, let this play develop. It all that stuff goes on, of course, in like less than a half a second, and that's why it's hard to get it right when you're young, yeah. a young QB. Um, certainly, it, ha it takes a great deal of communication and understanding. But if you can do that, particularly like in week three, when you haven't shown any of that, like you can do things, even if you show it and haven't done it, do something different than you've shown. Right? You bring the guys instead of dropping them out. Um, causes some problems and it certainly worth exploring anyway early in games to see if you can get a big play off of it sack strip fumble a tipped pass interception mm -hmm. like the bills got against the raiders we have to take a break here but when we come back we're going to crack open the tweet sheet we're also taking your phone calls open lines for you at 803-0550 what has been the most encouraging part of buffalo's offense through two games could be a player could be a personnel grouping, could be a play calling type thing, whatever it is, you let us know. Open lines for you at 803-0550, but we crack open the tweet sheet next here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. All right, back here on One Bills Live to announce the Bills and Ad Pro Sports are teaming up to award varsity head football coaches with the Coach of the Week Award. Week three winners in the Buffalo region, Section 6, Tim Delaney of South Park High School. Led the Sparks to a 54-30 win over West Seneca East. What happened to defense, man? <laughs> Delaney has won three Section 6 titles and has a 91-41 career record. In Section 5, the Rochester region, Coach of the Week is Avon Central School District's Andy Englert. Led the Braves to a 13-6 win over Oakfield, Alabama, Elba on Saturday. Now that's more like a rock'em, sock'em, old-school football <laughs> game. Uh, Englert has been the head coach the last 26 years with a 133-96 record and five Section 5 titles. Each coach of the week winner will receive a $1,000 grant from the Buffalo Bills and Ad Pro Sports. We've been asking you what part of the Bills offense has been most encouraging through the first two weeks of the season. Could be a player, could be a personnel grouping, could be a play calling decision. Whatever it is, you let us know at 803-0550. But we do want to crack open the tweet sheet, which we have not done as of yet. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving system of the Buffalo Bills. Jeremy says, 
This past Sunday was what I was looking for, given what the defense gave was simply amazing. I think he means taking what the defense gave was simply amazing. I just hope that this keeps up all season long. You heard Dan Orlovsky say it. You're playing against good defenses. That's the way you have to play because that's all you're going to be given. Right. That's that's what you got to do. And, uh, yeah, the Bills showed the ability to do it. We'll see if they can do it consistently. I asked him what they needed to do, and he said this, just that, be consistent. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do because it's an uphill battle, and every defense is a little different. They match up a little different. Uh, this bill, this Washington front that the Bills are going to face is much more is much superior, in my opinion, to the front four no, the I would agree. Raiders. So they're going to have their hands full. Josh isn't going to have that much time. He's going to have to get rid of it on time, and they're going to have to have options open when they when he needs it. So it's going to be a new challenge. This Washington team is two and zero for a reason. Now you can say what you want about their sched their fourth place schedule. They're still two and zero. Yeah, the wins are the thing. Billy G on the tweet sheet says, interior O-line. McGovern and Torrance have been a nice step up from Saffold and Bates last year. Bates backing up center makes that position better, too. You still have Edwards' depth. What a time to be alive. <laughs> and they actually used David Edwards as a yeah. sixth offensive lineman this past week. They put him out on the left tackle position, flipped Dion to the right side, lined him up next to Spencer, and off you go. Yeah, it's red zone or yeah, red, red zone. zone yeah, offense. you're right. Yeah, goal to go offense. I guess is better, more accurate. They were down close, and they put all those guys in, get some girth, put Latavius or Damian Harris back there. Let's go. Yeah, but think about that. I mean, he's right. You think about it. Ryan Bates was your starting right guard last year. He's now your backup center. Now your center position's stronger, at least in terms of depth and talent. You have David Edwards, who was a three-year starter for the L.A. Rams and a Super Bowl winner. He's a backup guard and sixth offensive lineman. The guy didn't even start. Like, yeah. tell me you're not better and deeper player. and more talented up there. He's a quality player, too. He's a yeah. good player. Osiris Torrance continues to impress for me. I was checking him out. The guy is just – he's big, dude. I mean, he's strong. and He keeps good leverage. Uh, defensive tackles are having a hard time pushing him. Um, He's uh, he seems to be playing extremely well, so keep an eye on him as well. He and McGovern are going to be valuable this week. Yeah, against yeah. Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. I mean, Deron Payne just got paid. Like yeah, four years, ninety million. Yeah, they've got some guys over there. So yeah, and Eric Wood talks all the time about Jonathan Allen. What a handful he was when he had to play against him. Right. So it it'll be fun to it'll be a fun matchup this week. But yes, no question that the Bills' offensive line is as advertised. At least they were this this week against the the Raiders Nick on the tweet sheet says the change of pace run game cook fast and elusive Harris can do it all and Murray is an absolute sledgehammer now sprinkle in Josh and you have a legitimate weapon which will only open up the pass game more and you know to Dan Orlovsky's point who we had on last segment they weren't dressing anything up it was we're coming downhill with three tight ends and I was going to ask him this as a follow-up question kind of forgot but Ken Dorsey is, you know, they talk about it being a copycat league, and there's no shame in that because if it works, maybe you should try it too. Right. How much three tight ends did the Chiefs use last year with great success? Pretty good amount of it. And so right. now it's not just 12 personnel. Now they're rolling out 13, bringing Quentin Morris on the field or Reggie Gilliam or some iteration thereof, and they're just coming downhill at you with a 230-pound running back. Yeah, and that's the way it's going to be. You're going to come out 
run your offense and, and you're doing things to win games, which this last week it was, you know, Josh completing 83% of his passes, really not going down the field. The big long throw he had to Gabe Davis was a, a broken play where he tossed it over the top on an adjustment off script. So Josh was really getting the ball out, short passes. Guys were catching it, getting a little bit extra, uh, throwing it to, you know, James Cook, Hardy, and then the running game. So they really kept this thing under control uh, to a large degree. And if they're hanging 38 points on teams, what that does is it forces teams to sell out bigger to stop that kind of offense. They got to squat on routes, they got to jump routes, short routes, they got to get into the quarterback's face fast. Uh, they got to sell out to stop the running game and get the Bills into th- longer and longer down and distances on third down. They're going to have to do more and more and spend more of their assets doing that, yeah. which is going to leave them vulnerable in the back end, or it's going to leave them vulnerable in other areas of their defense. They're going to be too close to the line of scrimmage. They're going to, you know, they're, then the pendulum will swing back the other way, and, and you'll have these games where you have a couple of explosive plays in the passing game. But you got to prove that unless you're going to really bear up in the run game and the short passing game and do everything you can to stop it, the Bills are going to keep doing it to you. And that's where you force teams to have a different game plan against you, and then you can take advantage of that. Slim Shady on the tweet sheet says, play action and play fakes. It was refreshing to see Josh under center a good deal this past week. And... You know, there, Eric Wood had been calling for it for weeks. Even up late last year, he was asking for more of it. I just think it provides more deception options for this offense against their opponents. And if you can get your opposing defense to take a false step here or read something wrong there, it leads to more opportunity. And the play action and the play fakes proved it last week. Yeah, there's, listen, it worked. And we had Dan Orloff. He said it was 38% of the time. I'll take his word for it. Mm-hmm. If And also, too. Yeah, if under center. Yeah, yeah under center. If you're going to play two tight ends and threaten them with the run, under center is an, an additional threat. It's an additional tilt, a tell, tell that your offense is going to be physical up front and you're going to, you know, you, your guy can hand it off and, and run downhill. So when you run on a lot of 12 personnel, being under center makes a lot of sense because it reinforces the defense's tendency to think the run game is a bigger option. And when you got two tight ends, that automatically goes. So when you go under center with two tight ends, yeah, it's, it's just reinforcing what you're trying to get the defense to think. Seth on the tweet sheet says, running backs. Cook seems to be the perfect guy for what we need out of a running back. Slippery like a salamander and could break a big one at any time. Great for checkdowns. Harris and Murray doing exactly what they were brought in for, power and a change of pace. Mostly all in week two, but encouraging. Yeah, we haven't talked about that part of Cook's game, Steve, the checkdown option. We saw Josh go to him more than once on checkdowns, which again speaks to taking what the defense gives you. I don't have it. There were a couple of times where Josh actually went like this and then pulled it back. And then checked it down. He's like, oh, don't do that. Let me check it down. And Cook, you know, as Seth said, is slippery. So yards after the catch is an option for him. I mean, I hate to yeah. say it, but Motor Singletary, as a check down option, would catch the ball and fall forward because the defense would close on him. He couldn't get away. Cook offers so much more elusiveness 
and extra yardage potential after the reception. Yeah, we saw that pump fake that Josh did on a on a I think it was like a 14-yard completion to Diggs on a third and eight or something, where Josh gave all. I thought it, even the camera kind of pan started to pan off him. He big motion decided not to throw it, held on to it, and then hit Diggs on the come on the deep hook route down the sidelines for a third down conversion. You can't imagine go on a, if you get a chance go to a twenty two all, all twenty two and watch what happens when a quarterback gives an enormous pump fake. The defense, everybody's feet just freeze. They wow. just stop moving. Well, they have to respect it, especially right. when you got somebody that throws it with the velocity that Josh does. Because if you don't react, you're not getting there in time. Right, and when he pulls it back, now it's, it's like, like oh, it's crap. like home. You know, it's like forget it. Yeah. You know, so then you're going to have some separation no matter where he throws the football, and that's exactly what happened on the digs reception. Jack says passing game efficiency. Take the picks from Monday Night Football away, and Allen has had high accuracy and completion percentage, showing that the offense can move the ball and attack despite the too deep shell they see. This will eventually lull defenses into cheating up and open the pass game downfield. Steve was just talking about that. Five minutes ago. Do you know who leads the league in completion percentage right now after two weeks, Steve? I don't know who. It's Josh Allen. Joshua Patrick Allen? That's right. Well, how about that? I didn't know that. Yeah. Andrea says, Gabe Davis reemerging as wide receiver two. Take some pressure off of Diggs and, of course, letting James Cook and Murray and Harris. Oops, that's four things. Because <laughs> I said what one, the question was one thing. Right. She picked four things. That's fine. If you're happy with more than one thing, there's nothing wrong with that. That means good things are happening on the offensive side of the ball. And then Mark on the tweet sheet says, it's really just week two. Taking the easy yards when they are there. Keep this up, and we will be going all the way. Yeah. Optimistic after well, yeah, one that's convincing performance. Pretty optimistic, but there's a, long, a lot of football to play. But yeah. certainly um, we saw Josh on Sunday look down the field and Keep his eyes down the field, and then at the ver he just hit the hit the guy in the flat, or hit the running back over the middle. Um, had some open guys, and he took them, and he didn't take. And there, I'm sure that there were probably some throws that he would have loved to try down the field, and didn't. And just hey, take this, get the first down. Let's let's see if that deep shot's there later. Um, that's basically what you're fighting against as a quarterback like Josh. I mean, he's fighting against the urge to try and thread the needle on a 25-yard sale route, and it's, you know, it's a a 10% completion percentage route, and then he could just take this one for a 90% completion. Yeah. So um, it was just good to see, and it, it it really looks a lot easier than it is when, he, when it's executed like they did, um, but certainly it's a lot easier than it showed on opening night, Monday night in New York. Break time for us. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet when we come back, including spreading the ball around. We'll explain when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Back to One Bills Live. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet here. And we wanted to get to uh, the comments made by, who were we up to here? It was Herb. He said, I like the way Josh has been able to hit so many different receivers. I believe this gets the running game going. Josh under center a lot more, gives the offense the ability to run and pass. 
We're able to run any part of the offense. We're not tipping our hand. We will be a tough out. I think what also has to go into the stew there, too, is the execution. Because you have to stay on schedule down and distance-wise to have your whole playbook open as well. And the Bills had 13 third-down opportunities. Only five of them were more than third and five. Eight of them were third and five and under. I don't know how willing we all need to be to draw conclusions about how it went against the Raiders. The Raiders are not as strong a roster at certain parts of their roster as some of the teams that are on the schedule coming up. It might be harder for the offensive line to get it done what they got done against Washington, for instance, like it was against the Jets. Uh, The Raiders were a get-well game, and they Mm -hmm. used it to their advantage, no question. 38 points is big on any NFL team. Uh, but the Bills executed extremely well, and the the Raiders caught them on a week when they were trying to self-correct, and they were on it. And uh, the Raiders ran into a buzzsaw with the Bills on Sunday. So the Bills played like it, and we'll see if they can continue that consistency even against a different roster in Washington. We mentioned nine different receivers caught passes from the Bills. They scored five different touchdowns with five different players, none of whom are named Stephon Diggs. Yeah. How much more difficult does that make the Bills to defend going forward? Yeah, you got to you worry about everybody. Yeah, you gotta, you got to play it honest every snap, which is something that hopefully a game plan installation defensively will give you a, a tip where you can say, okay, they're not going to – at least they're not going to do this. I think they're going to do this, you know – but, man, oh, man, it really makes it tough on a defense. We'll see you tomorrow. we got the Hall of Famer Thurman Thomas. See you at 1.